0: Hello again, and welcome to episode 25 of In Gear with the Shop. This episode is sponsored by Alliant Insurance Services RevPro. I'm your host, Reagan Dickinson, and our guest today is Vinny DeVito, owner of Resurrection Muscle Cars in West Palm Beach, Florida. In addition to bringing classic cars back to life, resurrecting them, if you will, the shop also does high end commission builds, resto mods, performance upgrades, and is beginning to electrify custom cars. So let's get in gear with Vinny and find out what's new in the shop and how and why they do what they do. You know, I've, I've looked through your projects and, and seen what y'all have been, you know, what we all have worked on in the past and recently okay. as well. And I, frankly, I think it's fantastic. And But you know what I'm curious about is um, what is it that y'all, what are y'all working on? You said you're busy. What are you working on right now? What's in the shop? Well, our shop is a, uh,
1: uh, it's a pretty good size shop. We're usually running, uh, six to 10 projects at the same time. Uh, some projects for anywhere from just, you know, typical upgrades from muscle cars, from air conditioning and hydro boost systems and big brake setups and things like that, you know, and uh, probably three or four full builds are are big cars that are running, you know, in the 150 to 350,000. Um, so some of the exciting ones we're working on right now is, um, so a big horsepower car we're doing is a 67 camaro the owner has owned for 27 years it was his first car it came in uh as a full restoration and his motor was all seized up and he had a bunch of rot and things like that and all of a sudden he calls us up and he says hey i found a replacement motor for my car so i'm like great send us the link we'll order it and get it coming and then it was a uh custom built, Texas speed, 1300 horsepower LSPA with a big blower on it. So that changed the whole scope of the car. So it's a really sharp car. We've got a custom cage that we built in. We just got done painting it the same interior color to make it blend in. And and it's got the full TCI suspension on it. it's running. It can run 14 inch wide rear wheels on it. Um, it's, it's really fun. And it's fun to have a client that is really into the project and that's involved with the project. And uh, makes a lot of decisions. It's uh, it's much more enjoyable than just some of our big dollar clients that just, you know, well, I want this and whatever you guys think is the best. Right. Yeah.
0: So you do enjoy
1: that interaction with the customer. And That's the best part. And the, the car industry in general has that. You know, ev- everybody can relate to cars. Women can relate to cars. Kids relate to cars. You go to car shows. It's a family event. Every, you know, so it's a, uh, it, I, I've
0: always loved it. I mean, what have you found by you know working with customers throughout the build or throughout the restoration? Um, what works and what doesn't? I mean, are are there things that you should or shouldn't do uh, within that interaction as you work with the customer? Yeah, communication uh, is essential with customers.
1: Over communication can be detrimental with customers. Mm. Uh, you're, you're, the clients are coming to us and they're they're looking for our expertise on the, on a lot of the builds. Right. So the design aspects, the specifications, the uh, the, the general looks, the performance, the handling—those are the interaction questions that we we work closely with our customers with. We don't involve them in you know electronics and gauging and and you know gearing and all those other things that they really don't understand anyway. Um, A a lot of time can get spent and lost trying to educate a customer and things that they're basically never even going to use after the car is built.
0: Are you in the, in the cars that you have in the, in the shop right now, are they, do you do full restorations where you're trying to get back to the original or, and, or combining new technology? How do you find that mix works out for y'all? Well, I started with true, true,
1: full mm-hmm. numbers matching restorations, and uh, and we were we did very well at it. But what happened was as the um, hobby. Uh, became more and more popular parts became more and more rare Um, having to source original uh, general motors parts and trying to find that the original cloth tags for the springs and the stamps for the behind the firewalls and soda blasting the firewalls down to get the production codes from fisher body that all that stuff is so time consuming what was happening to my clients is no matter what kind of uh, car it may have been is they started spending so much money doing a restoration that they would spend 125,000 to do a perfect restoration on a car that would literally sell maybe for 75. And when the Restomod culture started happening, we started it back in 2010. We started our first Resto mod, which was a 65 Mustang mm. with a Coyote swap. Uh, once we did that and the, the numbers that that car achieved, um, it was obvious then that Resto mods were really the thing of the future. So we turned away from restorations and started building Resto mods. Now, m- our particular style of Resto mod, what, what we classify a Resto mod, is that it's a fully restored car that's been modified to modern conveniences. So what I try to do is design a build so the car looks like it did when it came out of the yeah. factory essentially. But with all the modern components and modern drive trains and modern suspension, uh we you know we do full leather interiors, push button storage key you know keyless remotes, electric absolutely everything and insane stereo systems. Yeah. Whatever the customer may want that's right. in a new modern car.
0: Air conditioning too, right obviously because some of these
1: older cars didn't have that, right? Yeah, no air conditioning systems are. Yeah, that's just, that's like a staple. That's our regular. Yeah, that's so, y'all go suit to nuts those. then.
0: I, so, do you go from, do you go all the way to, to painting as you finish off with painting as well?
1: Yeah, we actually start, we actually, um, we were the only, the, the second shop in the nation that was approved to actually fully assemble bodies um, with, uh, and we have the jigs. So, for the first gen, second gen Camaros, we have the jigs to build those brand new. Uh, we have the uh, uh, the uh, Challenger and the Cuda jigs from 70 to 74. We have the Mustangs from 64 to 72. We have um, the GMA bodies from 68 to 72, including the El Camino. So we build a lot of the uh, bodies uh, and then build the whole car from the ground up. We do have a com- full high-end paint shop that's actually booked out to the end of 2022 right now. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. awesome. It's good to have that work. It's nice to have it in house. It's, you know, and the world that's changing around us so quickly, um, we're finding that the fact that we do have everything in house where we kind of set apart from the rest of our local competition and that we we can, we can accomplish almost a hundred percent of the build of the car.
0: Is that something that you evolved into? In other words, were there things that you were farming out before? Yeah, whether
1: it was yes, my paint work. I was when I first started, all my paint work was my paint and body was farmed out. Um, I did have one particular, mm-hmm. one specific uh, body shop with one specific painter that would do all my cars, so that it was done the way we wanted them. Um, we d- we did farm out all of our interiors, whether it was a stock replacement or anything custom. Uh, we farmed out our engine uh, builds or rebuilds, um, transmission builds, rebuilds, all that stuff. We farmed out uh, as the hobby uh progressed and the manufacturers started building parts and components for us to buy we we switched toward to those what i mean by that is like gm makes connecting cruise packages with modern ls drivetrains and six speed and eight speed and even 10 speed automatics um that we we'd prefer to buy a gm product with a two-year warranty and put that into our client's car uh, rather than just try to build one in the
0: shop And now a quick word from our sponsor, Alliant Insurance Services RevPro, a specialty insurance geared to meet the specific needs of the automotive aftermarket. Let's spend a minute with the company's Senior Vice President, Franco Ganino. Hey, Franco. When it comes to insurance, what is the most important thing to consider to protect your aftermarket business?
2: Well, I would think the most important thing that any business owner should do is work with an insurance agent that understands the type of business that they're engaged in. I think it goes a long way at creating efficiencies as it relates to the questions and answers that have to be um, uh, you know, achieved in order to uh, get through an underwriting process, manuscript, a custom policy to meet their needs, and ultimately do business with somebody um, that's going to understand the type of claims they might experience. And what makes RevPro different than, say, kind of your off-the-shelf insurance, if you will? I would think the one thing that we find when uh, prospects call us, whether it be a SEMA member or a, a company company considering becoming a member of SEMA is they've already called their local agents in their area and they can't find an agent that understands what they do. Uh, They might've talked to somebody that specializes in garage insurance, but when it comes right down to it, um, the one thing that makes us, uh, I would assume, stand above the rest is the fact that we're very intimate with all chains of commerce within the automotive aftermarket and specifically to our fastest growing product, Installer's Edge, is you know we understand all types of um, aftermarket conversion, whether it be a speed shop, uh, increasing horsepower, handling of a vehicle, uh, building street rods, uh, it could be an off-road truck center doing lift kits, it could be a van conversion company uh, stepping into the van space. Um, or uh, of late, it was the electric car community building electric vehicles. So these are types of builds that we're very intimate with. We're very familiar with the manufacturers that support the industry. And uh, our goal when we created Installer's Edge was to protect the chain of commerce. Uh, We wanna be able to make sure these consumers can engage with the right builders and uh, help perpetuate the sale of those parts.
0: Okay, excellent. And I really appreciate your time today, Franco, to share that information with us. My pleasure. For more information, go to revproinsurance.com. That's R-E-V-P-R-O insurance.com. Or you can go to SEMA.org and go to the member services section to find out more. You know, with all those builds going on in the shop right now, for example, how do you have the shop set up in such a way that it's an efficient process um, and cost effective for you?
1: That's, the shop is set, the way my building is set up, we have the we have the intake area to the left and when you come into the main door to the left side is the body shop so you they pass the paint booth the assembly disassembly area and then the body shop area is also enclosed access from the outside to keep the main shop clean Uh, the center of the shop is the the, uh we call it you know that the heavy heavy lifting that's where all the mechanical work is done and all of the uh Uh, Electrical work and and, uh, plumbing systems and whatnot are done in the center. And then all all the way off to the right by the office, we have a clean room where once the cars have been pre-assembled, taken apart, go through paint, then they go into the clean room for final assembly. Okay. Uh, The difficulty in our industry is every single car is different and parts supplies can change a project scope and a project schedule in a minute. Mm-hmm. It could throw everything off. We could have a part uh, just because something's new doesn't mean it's good. We need that part to keep the build going. That part's dead to resource. That part is three months out. Yeah. So now we have to shuffle the whole shop around again, move that car into storage, wait for those parts to come, mm-hmm. you know, and and shuffle that around. And that's happening. That's almost, it's almost in real time uh, as the supply, continues to dwindle
0: right how, how are y'all dealing with that issue right now with manpower we we used to
1: be able to our techs used to be able to load the um, shopping carts they used to be able They would search for all their parts make their parts list put them into their shopping carts and my bookkeeper used to be able to download the shopping carts at the end of the day and just buy everything and now we have uh, the bookkeeper's full time, plus myself full time, plus my son full time, just trying to source parts and find parts. So it's gone from a uh, a, a simple task to you know three full time employees to, just to be able to source parts. Like right now, there's no there's there, we only know of four GM crate motors left in the country because General Motors stopped producing LS crate motors. They're out of crankshafts. You know the LS the LS motors we sell you know three or four of those a month, right? So, yeah, it's becoming it's becoming really really more more and more difficult. Um, one of the things that we're expanding into more space into the building that we're going to be locking into, and we already have a project funded, is we're going to start moving our our technical resources into the world of electrics. Um, so do, we're going to start building a lot of uh, uh, these old muscle cars with electric conversions. Now that the, the electric motors and the batteries are all available, a lot of your aftermarket hot rod companies are starting to buy up these electronics companies so we can get and uh, you know electric controllers and throttle assemblies and what for and whatnot um, to plug and play. So mm-hmm. our first project is a, a 70 Chevelle SS that's going to have uh, front uh, all-wheel drive Tesla drivetrain in it wow yeah so we're that's kind of what we're turning not turning to but we're gearing up for the immediate future of electric
0: um have you done any electric projects or will this be your first one
1: this will be my second i did one years ago with the antiquated technology i actually did a (laughs) sunbeam tiger i don't know if you know what that car is but it's it's a very very small car yeah and uh and that, at that point, there was a, a a conversion company that just had a motor plate that you bolted right to the front of your manual transmission with their electric motor, very simple throttle assembly. But the batteries were very heavy. And by the time I fit all the batteries into this car and put it in my enclosed trailer, it literally almost fell through the floor of the trailer. It was so heavy. <laughs> wow. Um But when you when you hit that 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 throttle, the, the tires would boil off all the way down the quarter mile. But then it would be dead after maybe thirty miles. You know, yeah. now technology the cars will go nine second quarter miles, and they'll run all day long. They'll do three hundred twenty five, three hundred forty five miles plus on a single charge.
0: Yeah, and so, but do you do you still see challenges with doing that in the future? I mean, are are you how are you preparing for those challenges as you move into that world? I think the challenge is,
1: most recently, I feel the challenges we're facing is staying in fossil fuel. I think the world in general is forcing us into electric, so I think it's. I think it'll. I think it's actually going to make things a little bit easier for us to work on our electric program for the future than to try to sustain our fossil fuel. program.
0: I mean, what do you see as the future of that? I mean, when do you see that really, maybe going even one hundred percent toward electric?
1: I would say, at the most, maybe twenty twenty four, twenty twenty
0: five. Really, that soon.
1: Whether well, the whole world's going there,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I've read the article that even NASCAR was thinking about making it all electric by 2024.
0: Wow, it'll be interesting yeah. to see what happens, right? But you're already preparing for the future, like you said. And what what is the uh, what is the timeline on that on that project um, that you're going to be working on? As far as when do you think that's going to be completed? When do you start on it? When do you think? It'll
1: well, be we're completed? hoping to start on it uh, by the end of the year. We, we already have the donor okay. car. We already, have the, we already built a custom body that can accept the cradles. And um, yeah. we're just trying to, we're, like, we're trying to expand to it another bay in the same building. And once we have that bay, then we can kind of get set up over there because that project is going to need to be immovable. And our shop right now, we just have so many other projects booked in. Or we can't even do estimation until uh, January of next year. So we're booked up really, really well. And that's a project that is going to need its own technician, its own design to move forward quickly enough to make it financially feasible and efficient for the client.
0: Okay. So you're moving? Yes. Okay. No, what we're is adding that... on. It's the same yeah.
1: building that we're in. We're just taking oh, okay. more space.
0: Okay. How much space are you adding?
1: Right now we're in, we have uh, our main shop is 6,400 square feet. Our, our storage facility is 7,800 square feet. We're going to get rid of the storage facility, and we're trying to take an additional, Paul, uh, uh, what, oh, what is it, 12,000 square feet? 12,000 square feet, um, so that we can have the entire building that we're in.
0: Okay. Well, that'll be quite helpful for you. Yes, and, we- and also
1: quite expensive, so we have to keep, <laughs> have to keep things <laughs> yeah, moving forward. Right. And like I say, again, right. it's all about supply chain. Yeah. Things just aren't like they were a year ago.
0: Okay. So how do you plan for something like that for an expansion? It's going to cost you money. How do you plan for that? And obviously you want the space set up the way that you want it. Correct. What what, what is the thinking that goes into adding that new space?
1: Well, the, the things we have to, you know, consider is, you know, how much of the space do we actually need? Do we, first of all, we had to decide that we had to make a commitment to all the spaces Once we make commitments, all the spaces, our lease turns into a master lease. Now we're basically in charge of the building and the property. So we had to be prepared to take on those financial responsibilities. And then what, how much of that space do we need or can we sublet for the time being? Mm -hmm. And so we're going to sublet about uh, 6,500 square feet of the 12th um, because this building is configured differently. So our storage can stack instead of being all spread out flat Mm -hmm. and, uh, Uh, So we're just trying to figure out the space. We already have one of the two spaces subletted. We have a couple of different companies that we want to come in for the second space. And uh, so we just kind of planned that ahead of time and into our existing uh, lease, because I have another six years on the existing lease. So we tried to make it, everything tie in together. Okay.
0: So you look at that as just, it's a, it's expensive, but it is a cost of doing business and it's something that you need to do. And so what are some other, you can't
1: avoid it. And and people, even the last time that we took this big space, this, the storage space, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm never going to fill this thing up. It was filled in like two months. You know, uh, people, our clients, uh, once they hire us and contract with us to build their car, even if we can't start it for six months, they ship us the car. Yeah. So then we, we can sublet the space and we charge for storage. So a lot of the space can pay for itself in that. If we're waiting for a long time for your parts, they could charge storage. It's very inexpensive. We keep the storage fee very inexpensive to our clients. So it's much, you know, it's not even considerable to bring it back and forth. It's just better to pay for us to store it. And -hmm. then we have local customers that just don't have a place to keep their hot rod or classic car. And they need a storage spot that they can come to and grab their car on the weekends when they want to drive it.
0: Right. You know, aside from employees and and um, supplies and so on and so forth, what do you see are essential costs of doing business that maybe some shops could overlook? I I've always
1: believed that if you're gonna if you want to, uh, how do I say this? I was a, I was a developer most of my life, and I only did high end residential, and. I always believe that if you're going to do something, you need to do it on a large scale. So when I did the hot rod shop, I thought the same way. I got to do this on a large scale. So if you're going to do it on a large scale, there's a lot of variables that can happen a lot of things that you can't, you can oversee. So having number one, make sure your licensed. get all the correct license. Don't try to cut a corner. Don't work out of your barn behind your house. Don't, you know, get yourself a location. I can tell you right now that when we first started and we got our, our, uh, our location, we had cars, we had people lined up outside the door to bring us their cars. And I, I asked every single person, they're like, Oh yeah, we know that guy out West and we know this, but I don't want to drop my car off at somebody's house. Yeah. You know, so no matter how talented you are, just establish yourself. Number one, get a licensed business, get yourself into a good location. Mm -hmm. Number two, Make sure your butt's covered. Get yourself a good insurance agent. Get yourself a good attorney. Make sure you have all the correct corporate documents, correct corporate protections, and make sure you're insured. The big thing with us with insurance that I learned from my my insurance agent actually with my best friend as well. And I learned from him is it was difficult for us to get insurance because we actually build cars from scratch. Right. So yeah. we're, manu- we're almost manufacturing. And but we just had to shop around and get that cuz that's what we do. If you if you're trying to save money on insurance and you underinsure yourself, a failed a failed product could destroy you. The results of a failed product. That's
0: right.
1: Uh, um and that's it's not worth the money. So mm-hmm. we spend a lot of money on insurance uh, making sure that we're covered and when and when and if something does come up or if we do have a you know any litigation happens, we have the professionals in place to, to handle it and we have the insurance coverage to cover it.
0: Yep. Yeah. Well, you know what the music means. Our time is up. And special thanks to Alliant Insurance Services Rev Pro for being the sponsor of this episode. Now you can subscribe to In Gear with the Shop through your favorite podcast platform, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And if you're subscribed to the shop's daily e-newsletter, You'll know when the latest podcast is available. Plus, you'll stay up to date on the latest in the automotive aftermarket. Just go to theshopmag.com. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, adios amigos.